Hey listeners, just jumping in quickly before the podcast to notify you about the BodyTrack Academy educational webinars that we have available via Eventbrite. We cover a variety of topics ranging from oncology, musculoskeletal rehab, neurological rehab, mental health performance and much more, all of which you can access 24-7. That means you can purchase the webinar and watch it at any time that suits you. You can claim our webinars as PD points via SS self-assessment tool and as a valued listener of the podcast, you're entitled to $10 off any of our webinars, but do hurry because the code is only available to the first 10 purchases. Just use the code FIRST10. So head on over to Eventbrite and browse our webinars. The link is in the show notes and on the BodyTrack Academy Facebook page. I'd like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the Yagara and the terrible people as the traditional custodians of Mianjin the lands on which our podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the BodyTrack Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcast or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the Body Track Academy. Happy listening. Hi, Body Trackers. It's Jackie and Mackenzie, and we're back with a neuro podcast. As you may have heard in our first podcast, we wanted to delve a little bit more into the principles of neuroplasticity, um, more specifically the 10 principles of exercise-dependent neuroplasticity. So Mackenzie and I are going to run through those principles and then give you a bit of a case study at the end, just to see how that goes into from research into practice. So according to Clem and Jones, the study we referred to back in our first podcast. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and have a listen to it. We'll also link the research paper below. The, according to Clement Jones, neuroplasticity is believed to be the basis for both learning in the intact brain and relearning in the damaged brain that occurs through physical rehabilitation. So to delve a bit more into those 10 principles, I'm gonna hand it over to Mackenzie to explain the first five here. Yes, yeah, so the first of those 10 principles um, is use it or lose it. And what that refers to is how our neural circuits that aren't regularly actively engaged in task performance, so whether that's everyday life or exercise-based, um, for an extended amount of time, they begin to degrade. Um, and that can be general muscle tone or that can look like um, motor patterning as well or, or different tasks that we're required to do each day if we're not doing them regularly they can um, be be challenged and, and we can find them more difficult so I think this is a good one to chat to our clients about education wise that it's it's something that comes with repetition and that will come as well in, in further um, principles but yeah I think it's a good education point for clients in that the the more they do their everyday tasks that may be difficult things like getting up from a chair or getting up from their toilet that they may find difficult um the more they do it the the better their ability will be to do that um our second principle almost ties into that too so the second principle is use it and improve it 
um, and that refers to training that drives a specific brain function and that can lead to enhancement of that function. So an example of this can be a stroke patient who may have lost use of a particular side of their body and maybe neglecting that side or not using it because it's, it's um, too difficult. And in the treatment setting, a, a technique known as constraint-induced movement therapy can be used in this case. And, and what that looks at is restraining the arm on the non-affected side so that the patient is compelled to use their affected limb as much as possible and, and improve its function. The third principle in the Clemens-Jones principles is specificity. So that is the nature of the training experience dictates the nature of the plasticity. So from a treatment standpoint, um, specificity highlights the importance of tailoring our program or an activity to produce a result that's um, specific in terms of the client's goals or, or movement patterns. So for example, gearing exercise towards improving someone's gait may also relate to the neural network involved in someone's ability to climb stairs. However, the gait training may not generalize to improve someone's stair climbing capacity specifically. Um, and then the fourth principle we're going to talk about is repetition matters. Um, so we touched on this briefly before, but it speaks to the induction of plasticity requiring sufficient repetition. Um, and one of the challenges for therapists, I think, particularly in a rehab environment, can often revolve around being able to quantify how much time or how many sessions of a specific therapy a patient needs to recover certain skills. And, and at the moment, we don't really know these numbers in terms of research and, and what it's identified. But we do know from studies that it can be thousands or even tens of thousands of repetitions of certain activities are needed to to generate these changes and because of this it may take utilizing different techniques such as combining therapies to provide patients with the opportunity to get sufficient repetition of these skills so for example that could look like um, thousands of steps that a patient may need to relearn to walk again and that might be us as physical therapists or as exercise physiologists having our patients walk in between their therapies or if they're visiting a multi-D clinic where they're required to do therapies over an, an intensive bout um, and that can just make sure they're, they're getting in those extra sessions. So we can also look like in, in our practice and helping out other allied health professions, we can help out say speech therapy by having a patient verbalise their rep count during their PT session or their exercise physiology sessions. Um, and the fifth one is intensity matters. So this one refers to the induction of plasticity requiring sufficient intensity. And again, the question of proper therapy intensity follows this concept of repetition as well. So what is the proper dosage of therapy necessary and, and how many sessions and how long should these sessions be are, are some questions that may come to mind when we talk about intensity. Um, and again, research has shown that more intensive therapy is, is more likely to achieve results and, and more likely for these changes to be solidified, I guess, in neural patterning. Um, and this makes sense when we consider other principles of, of repetition and use it to improve it as well. I'm going to throw to Jackie now to go through the final five principles. So number six on the Clemens jones principles is 
timing matters. So more specifically, this principle is based on the idea that the earlier that we can bring in rehabilitation, the brain, we know the brain really wants to recover. So it makes sense for us to intervene sooner rather than later. Um, that also means that different forms of plasticity occur at different times during the recovery. So that sort of early versus late approach is especially important to support the beginning treatment before maladaptive behaviors have a chance to spring up. Number seven is salience matters. So this is essentially taking that training, training experience and making it important to the client. So delving into meaningful relevance and importance to that specific individual will optimize not only their approach to exercise, but it actually impacts their recovery and how well they can um, take in information and what they learn in that session. Number eight is age matters. So training-induced plasticity occurs more readily in younger brains. With this being said, we know that young brains are more plastic and adaptable um, than the change of older brains. However, there is still changes that we can see when it comes into exercise therapy. So it is never um, too late to start. That's where we do want that, again, early versus late stage approach, but we just do see the brain is more malleable at a younger age. Principle um, number nine is transference. So plasticity in response to one training experience can enhance acquisition of similar behaviors. So in that training process, um, we need to make sure that um, particular skills or activities can be generalized and transferred into real world activities to increase that individual's independence in the home environment as well as out in the community. And the final principle is interference. So plasticity in response to one training experience can impede acquisition of similar behaviors. So when patients are actually able to come in for uh, treatment, sometimes that treatment can be delayed if there have been um, compens uh, compensation behaviors or skill deficits that they've already learnt in a different way. So as exercise physiologists, um, it's a bit of a challenge, but this is where we can step in and intervene with really tailored exercise therapy to regain skills that may actually be unlearning some previously acquired behaviors. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you're learning a lot in this particular episode. Just a shout out to our sponsor, HGG Performance, which provide very high quality innovative gym equipment and custom fit outs to enable you to pivot your potential and smash performance and rehab goals. They are world renowned for their innovative creations in the gym accessory space, including the best selling ISO Tib LT, Tib Bar, Wrist Axe and Nordic Bar. And i got to say, we're using some of these equipment in our clinic and finding some great results. Used by professional sports teams, athletes and coaches worldwide, as well as the military, health practitioners, and apparently even Joe Rogan uses their gear. HGG is a proudly Aussie-owned company that makes all their gym equipment at their Gold Coast HQ. And our partnership with them, we are stoked to offer you 10% discount on any product with the code BODYTRACK10 so you can experience what all the hype is about yourself. So jump over to their website, go to the checkout, 
punch in the code of BODYTRACK10 to get 10% off um, on any of their great innovative gym equipment and start using today. Thanks very much. All right, so that is the 10 principles of by Clem and Jones of uh, activity-induced plasticity. Uh, what Mackenzie and I are going to do now is just delve a little bit more into a case study to sort of apply that more into practice. Um, the case study that we've decided to chat about is an individual. He's a 68-year-old male who has Parkinson's disease and was diagnosed in 2020. Um, the main motor symptom is bradykinesia Parkinson's with a, uh, other symptoms including the stooped posture, um, limited thoracic and um, lumbar extension, which has been associated with lower back pain. In terms of his gait, it's quite a shuffle, shuffled gait with minimal arm swing. Um, he has been placed at a falls risk and the other non-motor symptom would be brain fog. Um, so Mackenzie and I are gonna delve into this client's exercise prescription and program because um, he actually comes to see myself and Mackenzie. Um, so Mackenzie, you've recently taken on this client for the one-on-one -on -one boxing. Can we just delve a little bit more into what that looks like and how you've sort of applied these principles? Um, and I'll let the listeners know as well that this is, it's been one session. One session, yeah. So <laughs> we're going to actually chat a bit about how we can maybe implement a few different things for next week's session and yeah, go from there. Awesome. So I, like Jackie mentioned, we've had one session with Lindsay doing some boxing. Um, this is an exercise mode he enjoys and he's been really keen to get involved with it, which I think speaks to um, the salience principle in that if it's something Lindsay enjoys and he's keen to go along with it's likely he's something it's something he'll continue keeping up with which of course is important um, in terms of his aerobic fitness and, and cardiovascular health as his disease progresses but um, it's also something that can transfer into his daily tasks or, or his goals in terms of movement as well so um, Lindsay's walking his dogs or he's keen on, on doing that daily and I think the boxing particularly with added cognitive challenges something that we've included as well um, will hopefully help in terms of dual tasking so he's having to think while moving his feet or he's having to worry about what he's doing with his upper body um, while his, his feet are moving and I think that'll hopefully transfer into walking his dogs which can be a bit chaotic and they can run off to smell things or run off to greet other <laughs> dogs and hopefully that that gives Lindsay the, the opportunity to think about oh I'm I'm steady and I'm able to use my arms and have them moving in a power-based movement um, while my feet are moving and I yeah I hope that transfers over for Lindsay um, I know you've done some other strength work with Lindsay as well Jackie can you talk us through that definitely um what I've been trying to work on with Lindsay has been more around strengthening through and trying to find more range of motion through his pelvis. So as I mentioned, he's got that stooped position and we're in a very fixed posterior pelvic tilt. Um, so trying to get some range of motion through there to also mitigate the lower back pain has been a massive um, add in terms of strength. What we've been doing at the moment has been some things like glute bridges weighted with a dumbbell 
Um, he's finding that to be more effective because it's something that's very targeted and it's not too many cues. We're focusing on one area of the body and really honing in on that. Um, and he can see the benefit around this. This is where he, Lindsay's been so open-minded and um, communicative. Um, communicative, is that a word? <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> Just rolled off the tongue a little bit. Um, he's had open communication with myself around where he's feeling it and what that, um, if it elicits any more pain, if he's going, oh, this is just not, this just doesn't feel right. Um, he can see the benefit around why we're targeting this and he's open to all of those challenges, which has been really, really effective in his, in his treatment here. He's made big strides, which is awesome. Um, the other area that I'm trying to focus on in his sessions has been a supported squat into triple extension um, with an overhead press. So we're looking at it more from a neural um, stimulating, neural power, sorry, a power focus as well for Lindsay. He is one that really responds well to a challenge. Um, that's something as well. He's We've been able to communicate more around how his energy level is um because he may he'll present one morning more shuffled gait really more of a stupid posture and that's sort of an indication the way he walks through the clinic of how the intensity is going to look yeah um Mackenzie when you've been working with him has anything popped up in terms of like what you might trial next session or especially getting to know him. I think that there's a few things that um, interest areas, like you've mentioned, he likes to walk his dogs. Um, is there anything else that sort of stood out to you in terms of your approach next week? Yeah, I think, um, like I mentioned before, I, I probably want to implement more cognitive tasks during our boxing. Um, so whether that looks like some things I've done is, it's quite simple to implement, but I find it's good for engagement with clients and, and also challenging them cognitively is um, an alphabet game. So I might give them a topic like sports or countries or foods. Um, and then as we're doing the task, they're running through the alphabet within that hobby. So that might look, foods may look like um, starting with A, we'd go apple, B, banana and, and roll through that way. And I find it's, it's a good way for getting clients thinking while they're having to do a physical task. Um, so I'd love to implement more of that with Lindsay. I also think um, perhaps, yeah, making the boxing more dynamic as well. So doing, he's doing at the moment some combos. So for example, he'll do jab cross and we'll hit 30 of those and then um, hook movements doing 30 of those. But I would love to get him moving around the clinic more again, as I, as I spoke to before about that, um, that dual tasking of getting legs moving while arms are doing the work, I think will be really awesome for Lindsay to keep up with. Um, and then just even verbalizing, like we've, we can see vocal changes with Parkinson's too, of course. So I think even verbalizing the number of reps we're doing, um, and even again, we can make that a cognitive challenge and, and do that, say, counting backwards from a certain number or, um, yeah, I think that would be more, I think that would be beneficial to implement with Lindsay moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I think he tackles those boxing classes with a hundred percent effort. Yeah. Um, the, the cue that I've used 
with Lindsay has been move with intent, but yeah. when he comes into boxing, he's very much giving 100%, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, and really hones in on his salience. He's loving it. He's enjoying it. And then repetition. So those high repetitions, intensity as well. Um, fantastic. I think the one other part um, as well, you definitely honed in on it, Mackenzie, was if we're looking at Parkinson's more specifically, um, is making sure the intensity is there, making sure the load is challenging. And I've found that giving clients the understanding of the rate of perceived exertion scale sometimes can be a bit tricky to comprehend. So um, trying to find what scale works best for them. Um, for, for Lindsay, he's been able to really take that one in 100% of the time. Um, we have also linked it to the PD Warrior rate of perceived exertion scale. Um, that allows him to know more of the powerful movements. If he's working at 80% of his 100%, we need that to be quite high. Um, and then relaying that information back to him and saying, hey, what do you think that this intensity was today? Um, and if he goes, yeah, that's an eight out of 10, fantastic using our clinical judgment, do we think that that was the best he could do on that day? Great. It also reinforces things that he's doing at home, making sure that he knows what that intensity scale is as well. Um, fantastic. That sounds like a really fun game though, Mackenzie, the, <laughs> the countries and yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd get all of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it keeps my brain working. But yeah, definitely. <laughs> Once you throw the maths one out yeah. there too, it's, it's rapid speed. Absolutely. Um, amazing. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, Mackenzie and I are going to wrap up there. It's been 20 minutes and we've been podcasting in a small storage room that <laughs> feels like a sauna. So we're going to head off for the day. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll be back with some more neuro podcasts in the near future. Um, if you have any suggestions or any topics that you want to hear more about, flick us through um, some topics and we would love to delve into that more. Otherwise, thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks everyone. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. So remember to share, like, or follow to keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources.